Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Mirror Media Podcast. This is Mukundar Raghavan and... Hey, guys. Rachit Thaplial over here. I'm glad to be back on the podcast and hope to keep it regular. Yeah, you, you've been uh, gone for a while, buddy. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, work keeps me busy. My day job is a data scientist, so... But I'm happy to be back and, uh, you know, continue to contribute and uh, create good content and, you know, have great conversations. All right. That sounds good. Um, so, like I, like I said before, this is episode four. Um, the topic of today will be uh, Purushartha and Varnashrama Dharma. Um, so, so, what are Purusharthas and what is Varnashrama Dharma? Okay, yeah. So, these concepts are a little, uh, they're kind of dense, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of break it out first. So before we get into the Purusharthas, let's talk about Varnashram and Dhamma. So uh, obviously the term Varna means color. Um, it usually has been linked to what is known as caste. Uh, I think that's the wrong connection. And most scholars of Sanskrit and of Indic culture will tell you that that connection with Varna and caste is uh, it's entirely incorrect, and it's a it's a problem that was created by the uh, European uh, colonial enterprise. Absolutely, but one one thing I do want to point yeah. out is that it was, uh, the issue was because varna was the popular definition. Uh, sorry, color was the popular definition of varna, but varna can also mean types and kinds and so sure. on. You know, the in the in the Sanskrit alphabet is called the varnamala, yeah. right? So it's a garland, not colors, but garland of right, different types right. of entities. So I think it's important, you know, keep in mind that you know nuance and multiple definitions and understandings is just key to Indic civilization in general. Sure. And you know, we so we need to approach it from that perspective. Yeah. So that's correct. I mean, so. Um, the point I was trying to drive with the Varna was that so this this term was applied in a, in multiple contexts and but in this context of Varna Ashrama Dharma, the Varna refers to the four kind of classes of people in the world that make up a society. So uh, most cultures have this breakdown, um, which is which will generally be uh, in, in the, the Greeks had it with three classes. Uh, Romans had it with two or three classes. Persians had three classes. As Persians well. have three classes. In the Indian system, the Varna breaks down into Brahmana, which is the. I mean, I, I people like to say the priestly class. I don't know if that's entirely correct. I'd say some of it is priestly, but a lot of it is also very intellectual, scholarly, um, scholarly class. class. Right. You're the people that are the maintainers and promulgators of knowledge, um, and 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 some of them are very ritualistic. Uh, then your second class will be what's known as Kshatra or Kshatriya, uh, which is your warrior, warrior, king, administrative, kind of, administrative class. Yeah. Um, and then you have your third class, which is your Vaishya, which is the merchants, the uh, not the artisans, but the merchants, the travelers, Traders. the business people. Um, and then your final class is known as was Shudra, which is your servant class or the worker class. And your artisans, your craftsmen, your basically your laborers, yeah. as what we can call today, like like for example, a large part blue of blue collar work, essentially, you know, yeah. for the most part. Yeah, you're correct. It's very much blue collar work, right? You know, a lot of farmers and uh, uh, craftsmen and artisans would be considered shudras, and then they say servants too. And that's correct. Like for example, like your your maids, your uh, uh, you know, quote unquote butlers, whatever you want to call them, um, because India. Uh, and this is well attested, um, was one of the few cultures that until 
I would say the past 1500 years did not really have a slavery system. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's enough information from, uh, from various people that came into India. Yeah. Greek, Greek travelers, Chinese travelers. and Central Asian travelers, Absolutely. they all attest to it. So they all, I mean, they had, they themselves the Chinese and the Greeks had uh, slavery, like Spartans had what known as the helots, mm-hmm. the Athenians had their own slaves, um, Chinese had their slaves, but when they came to India, they, they noticed that there was no slavery as they understood it. And then one point I do want to make, and is not to sound as an apologist, although the fact that I said it makes me sound like one, but... You know, it's very interesting that everyone viewed these different class hierarchies as being very strict and there being, you know, some sort of systemic discrimination. But it's interesting that I one doesn't come across that much of it in these texts from all these various travelers who would come. They talked about the, you know, uh, the, the system of governance and justice being very fair. You know, people were treated uh, properly. Yes, they, there seems to have been uh, sort of. I wouldn't say segregation, but people, different communities tended to band together and live together. But, you know, there, there, there was uh, harmony between people. and Yeah, no, so, I mean, we can we could get more into that in maybe another uh, podcast talking about Jati, Varna, Absolutely. and Absolutely, and again, just to point out that, you know, this is not an attempt to, like, you know, whitewash, uh, oh. you know, uh, issues that have occurred in, you know, more recent medieval times or even in modern times, and those absolutely should be addressed and, uh, you know, rectified. Right. So I think in, like, episode two, I mean, episode three, um, when I talked about the basis of, you know, our our uh, traditions versus the Western viewpoint into our traditions, one of the things I think people that are listening should keep in mind is that, we can't go back with the modern lens and apply our our modern meaning by this uh, your our modern notions of hierarchy and class to the old ancient world. I'm not saying that modern is correct and ancient is incorrect. What I am saying is there was a difference and there's a nuance, especially within civilizations. So within the Indian context, when we talk about varna, the four classes is the better term. Uh, you know, is the idea of these four beings or four classes of beings have an intricate role in maintaining society. So the purpose, one of the one of the most important things in the Indian concepts is that the purpose of everything that they do, ritual, everything else, is connected to maintaining order of society and a functioning of society in a way that serves everyone. Right? So um, inherent to that will be issues of uh, hierarchy. Um, also, different roles for different peoples um, and relationships. So we'll, we'll we'll kind of parse these out as we go along. But I think it's very important to remember that varna does not equal caste. Do not take our modern conceptions and apply it to the past. And try to just listen through as we discuss it. And obviously, people have uh, issues, concerns, and um, and we'll talk about them. I think it's important to have these conversations right. in an open and frank manner instead of. Attacking each other, saying you're casteist, you're you're not casteist. You know it, that doesn't lead to uh, a very uh, fruitful discussion, especially when we're uh, talking about things that are so ingrained and so um, emotional to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's just this is not a simple issue of uh, of it's just what I feel, but it's people's identities are built on this, right? So especially in, in India, um, it, for generations, maybe millennia. People have built their identities around their varna 
well, what they what they've done, what their history of family has done, and and we also have to remember some of it was food. So I don't want to get too deep into that. Right. I rather focus on the, the the ashrama aspect of varna ashrama. I just want to give a brief overview of what varna is. So and then we can. I mean, Rajat, do you have anything to add before we get into the ashrama no, section? Not at all. I think we need, we should talk about the varna oh. ashrama. Okay. So as we we just kind of quickly went over varna, the ashrama is actually the part that's going to be more important today. Um, in our discussion, ashrama, uh, it, it means like a, a protection or shelter of sorts. Um, and varna uh, ashrama means the the shelter of the the people, right? So um, the four varnas are connected to four ashramas, not in the sense that one varna is, has one ashrama, but it's the four ashramas applied to all the varnas. Um, and the four ashramas are known as your first one is called Brahmachari, which is your period of period of life in which you are to be studying, uh, inculcating culture, uh, good character, learning, uh, and if you're doing your trade, learning your trade, practicing it. Second stage of life is known as Grahastha, which is the householder life. So this this part of life occurs upon marriage, and that is the period of life. When you have duties to your family, to your community, to the world at large. The world at large because, you know, it's very important to be a functioning member in society. And that's the phase of your life where you actually function as an integral member of society. Because previously you were a student. So you were taking more than giving back to the world. And in subsequent phases also you tend to detach from the world. So this is the, it's it's a key phase. So, and then the third, the third phase is known as Vanaprastha. So this is when after you have, if you're a man or a woman, you've, you've uh, been, been married, you've fulfilled your household duties, you have children, you've aged, you've, had, you've followed through your commitments in, to your community, your children are now grown up and they're doing their, their thing, it's time for you to kind of move on to your next stage. And the Varna, in the, in the ashrama stage, this is Varnaprasta, which means going to the forest they use that term, um, going to the forest, both literally and kind of figuratively, because some people actually did go to the forest and went to like ashramas and spent time with other communities of people that were uh, uh, elderly and and, and and trying to get uh, more knowledge. But they also meant it in, in a figurative sense, meaning this is the time period of your life when you start to enjoy what you have earned and then kind of slowly detach from it, right? right? So this is a phase where, where you're no longer as bound by their duties, responsibilities that you were in the Brahasta stage, but you now become a little more laxed in your duties, maybe enjoy a little bit more, and then you kind of, at the tail end of that Vanaprastha, start focusing on like having the, the renou- renouncing things. Also, I'll add that I, I also feel that it was a phase where one turned more towards you know, a life of service, right? It's it's about not about generating artha and wealth for the family, supporting all family yeah. unit, but also maybe indulging in community service. And uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how these apply to modern life. So sure. We'll come to that. So, and then the final stage is known as sannyasa, in which the, so in the Vanaprasa stage, in many cases, the husband and wife would leave the, the immediate family and go into the forest or go wherever they're doing traveling. For example, they might do travel across the the breadth of India, going to different 
um, holy places and pilgrimage sites the together. Yeah, theaters. And then what they do is in the they do it together. So Vanaprastha, the husband and wife, have to be together if they're you know if they're married or if they're alive. And then the sannyasa is when the husband and wife start detaching from each other, in, in a in a in both physically but also emotionally because the idea is this is the period of time where you focus on purifying yourself and trying to clear your mind and and get to a place of spiritual peace and oneness and where you get the opportunity to truly focus on yourself, not yourself as your mind, but yourself as a spiritual entity. Um, and so this is the final stage and that leads into the death. So the way they normally broke down these timetables would be like 25 years for each, assuming a 100-year lifespan, which is interesting because in, when, when these ideas came about, probably, you know, in, well, 1,000 years, 2,000 years before Christ in that period, um, these ideas were placed into a human lifespan, right? So they assumed 100 years would be a normal human's lifespan. I mean, I don't know if it was a case that people lived that long, but the fact that they were conceiving it in that length shows that they probably had a much better lifestyle or health uh, level than people in later parts of time. Um, but that's a side note. Um, uh, but I think the, the, the way they broke it down is you're each stage, you're, you're Barmachari be 25 years, of, so, so from zero to 25 would be approximately the time where you spend time studying and learning and developing trade and being free of other responsibilities. And then 25 to 50 would be your grihasta where you have children and do all that. And then 50 to 75 is kind of like your retirement and you focus on like traveling with your wife or spouse and engaging with uh, the spiritual aspect. And then 75 to 100 is kind of when you detach and you focus on your truly internal aspect. So this is basically the layout of the ashrama system. Uh, and this applies primarily to everybody. Um, sometimes the texts do say pro or, or provide uh, more for the first three uh, 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 varnas, but other texts will tell you it applies to every single being. Or, or they'll say all four apply to only the first, only the first, and the three apply to the next, and you know, yeah. so on and so So they have a, a different... The, the, the one thing we have to remember about these uh, ancient texts is that they weren't homogenous by any any way and, means or, or and they differed from yeah. time and place. Yeah, right? so, so. The, the, they were very very. They focused on two things, right? One was just descriptive. They were kind of telling us what their society was like, and other thing would be if some of it was pros, proscriptive. Prescriptive. Prescriptive. Sorry, where they would tell people this is what the ideal way to live is. Even though they do that, they still say. This people people do X Y Z. It might not be approved by scripture, but they still do it. Right. So it's not this sense of you can't do it. It's just scripture doesn't approve it. But this is life. What are you going to do? Right. Um, so the ashrama stage is is that is your four ashramas. That's how it breaks down. So the next part that we'll connect these the threads at the end. So the the next section that we kind of want to talk about is the purushartas. So the term is purusha artha, which means the aims or goals of a purusha, which is beings, right? So purusha means beings, uh, sometimes defined as man, but generally means beings. So it is the goal or aims of, of human or the, the lives of people. And they break it down into four, four main goals. Um, and that would be 
First is uh, Alta, which is uh, the, the goal to gain, acquire, and possess wealth. We'll, we'll get into what, eat, what wealth means. Um, the second one is called Kama, which is the ways means to, to possess and enjoy pleasure. Kama means pleasure, where, where everybody knows you get the term Kama Sutra. Right. Right. Which is. But, the, but it's the not su- just sensual and sexual desire. Right. It's about desires for everything in the world of sen- sensual pleasures. Uh, so, yeah, that was a uh, uh, comma, right? So that's sensual pleasures and uh, just enjoyment of life. Right. And then your third art, uh, Purushartha, would be Dharma, which would be virtue, um, morality, religion, uh, ethics of life. And then finally would be moksha, which is uh, salvation and spiritual. Finding the, a, a deeper meaning to life, you know, yeah. beyond physical reality. I mean, just that's sort of the easiest way to characterize that, I think. Yeah, so I mean, it would mean different things for different people. Yeah, it, it does. And, and I think uh, all one of the things that people have difficulty with is when you think about both the ashrama and the, and the purusharthas is... What does it mean, right? I mean, is there is it, 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 it? These are old, old concepts. They have any relevance to our day and age, and if so, how are they relevant? So, in my understanding, I mean, the goal at that time, and I think it possibly applies today too, if we adapt these ideas. But the goal was to live a full life, to uh, to experience experience completeness in life, mm-hmm. and and so the the understanding was that if you've had all these kind of experiences, you would actually have had lived a fulfilled life, right? And also is is you know through these actions just to find you know stability, right? And uh, and not just stability at a societal level, but even at a personal level. And and I, I do feel that you know these ideas could be extended in, into the modern age as well. I mean, uh, that's I, I think it's absolutely the case that Kim and they 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 actually have a deep resonance to our age uh, and, then one, and one of the things you know that's really important here is when we think about these concepts I, I think we need to think of it as concepts more so than rules because they're the texts themselves and, and the major texts where you can learn about these ideas will be primarily your your itihasas your mahabharata your ramayana and then you'll have like uh the dharma shastras uh, which there are many, including there be uh, someone like Manu Dharma Shastra or mm-hmm. Manu Smriti, as they call it. There's right. Yajnavalka Smriti and there's Narada Smriti, and there's a bunch of different Smritis. And by the way, they all half the time they con- uh, contradict each other and conflict right. with each other, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's it's like a discussion with each other about what is what is good for the world or good for society. And then there's other texts for um, called the Grihe Sutras, mm-hmm. which deal with the householder uh, Ritual, the rituals and actions and, and, actions so, on. and so, on. so these were like your three major areas of, of text that talk about the rules of society, right. uh, of human beings within society, and this is what Pusharta and Varnashrama memorized. So the thing about these, these concepts is that they were so they might talk about it in a way that's very structured, but when you read about the lives of people in, say, Mahabharata or Ramayana or later on, no one follows the structure. Everyone lives the life they're going to live. Yeah. And, and, but they, they couch it in these terms because it's about the independence of people, mm-hmm. the independence of people to engage in life um, as they want to engage with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a very important thing is 
we shouldn't, as we deal with these concepts today, think that this is a fixed thing and it's this, it's formulaic. It's not. It's not. And I'm, I, I love that you brought up the Mahabharata because I, I feel like a large part of that text is showing that, you know, how people in practical terms never stuck to these rules and right. follow them. I mean, I think of Ashwatthama, you know, who, despite being born in a Brahmana family, you know, became a Kshatriya and fought as a warrior. And there's actually a whole episode in the Saptika Parvan, right, where he actually says that, oh, you know, so even though now I have picked up the life of a Kshatriya, yeah. I can't abandon it. Yeah. So I need to stick by those rules, even though it's unbecoming of me, and then, you know, right. uh, avenge my uh, master, my king, right. and so on. So when we, uh, we'll, we'll get into these particular things, but I want to spend a little bit more time talking about these these Purusharthas, right? Sure. Why is, why do you, Okay, why do you think Artha would be important? Why do you think wealth or and what, how, do you, how would you define it? So, but it's very interesting that you said those in that order because usually when I have heard people talk about them, they said Dharma, Artha, Kam, and Moksha. Yeah. And uh, so I do think the order is important. Maybe certain different texts uh, look at it in a different way. Sure. But, you know, looking at Artha first would say that Artha is the base of everything else, that on the basis of Artha, is you uh, you can pursue everything against life, whether it's your kama, whether it's your dharma, you know, your duty, your right yeah. action, or whether it's even access to moksha and, you know, be able to liberate yourself from the world and your responsibilities so you can go off in a forest and find, you know, salvation. Uh, if you look at it from the perspective of uh, dharma being the base, yeah. you know, then it's like, hey, your right action, right conduct is the base on which everything else is built. The right action and right conduct will lead you to uh, well-gotten wealth instead of ill-gotten wealth, which will, you know, then be positive. And when you use it for a positive fulfillment sure. of desires, right, it will lead you to that path of finding moksha in, in, in the most efficient way. So, right. Uh, so it's actually, so I don't know if the order of how we say it matters as much. So one of the things that, that's very important, I think, is we have to be very cognizant of is half the time, especially in the West, and a lot of times even in India, or perceptions of, of Hinduism or Indic thought is it's spiritual. It's spiritual, it's spiritual, it's spiritual. That is a, only a tiny bit, uh, bit of truth. Mm-hmm. It is actually very much world-affirming and requires people to be engaged in the world. And, and because of that, they talk way more about things like like Mahabharata will talk way more about Artha, Dharma, and Kama than, than it does about moksha. moksha, right? Because the importance of, for at least some of the texts of Mahabharata or even Dharma Sutras, would be how you have to live in this life. But, you know, I think part of that is because these Shastras are like what I guess one would call like Vyavaharika Dharma Shastra. It's like, or Vyavaharika Shastras because there's about how to engage while you're still in the world. While... Moksha really is in the purview of the Moksha Dharma Shastras, right? Which is, uh, you know, you look at your Upanishads or Sannyasa Upanishads, or like sure. how to conduct yourself when you're actually going to... Uh, yeah, I, I think there's some truth to that. Um, I mean, I, I think there, the Im, important part, especially when we're talking about the Purusharta and the, uh, the Ashrama system, is reason, like something like Artha is so important, and you kind of hinted at this, is that Without artha, it's difficult to do things. And by artha here, we mean wealth, not only of like material kind, having a house or money, or or you know if you're a farmer, cattle and grain and all this, but also having like spiritual wealth of insight, of knowledge, right? Because there's there's actually one of the Purusharthas is not knowledge, right? It is 
Artha. Mm-hmm. There's no Purushatta that says Jnana. Right. Right? So the goal of human life isn't knowledge. It's right. knowledge for a purpose. Right. So you gain knowledge in Artha so that you can build, uh, a, I guess, a base, right? And, and this is one of the very important things in, in many places throughout the Mahabharata and other texts says, without Artha, you can't do, you can't get Kama, which is pleasure, nor can you do Dharma, which is uh, righteous behavior. What you, all you can do is, if you if you don't have artha, you can't you can't follow through on any pleasure, and, and, and you Make can't a good do point. Like you, you can't do good things in the world, right? Because many ways, money is or a system of wealth is what allows people to do things that they couldn't do by themselves. True. I mean, I I I mean, I'll qualify that bit by saying that it's not that you couldn't do anything or couldn't satisfy sure. any commas and stuff, but it makes it easier for you to be able to, you know, satisfy certain you know uh, commas or you know whether it's to follow your dharma. You could still possibly follow your dharma without access to what these people do. But what and actually, food, by the way. With food, that's exactly right. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it 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 it, it gives you a, the means to pursue certain things. Right. It, it, but it, it, it's. Right. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. You, you were saying. No, but that's it. Gives you the means to pursue, uh, you know, these ideas to uh, the, these principles to their depth, and also to act as righteously as possible to follow your dharma more fully, because it is tough in the absence of, uh, you know, wealth to, or in the in 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 a circumstance where you're faced with a lot of problems to act in the right manner. And I think you know we will cover that when you talk about uh, about dharma later on. Sure. Um, I mean, th- and this is one of the things that like, really was interesting to me as I spent more time reading Mahabharata and the other texts. Uh, I, I keep saying Mahabharata because I've been spending quite a bit of time doing that of, of late. Um, is that the importance they place on wealth. And, and, and part of this could be also because it was written, I mean, a lot of the speeches or, or conversations were between uh, the ruling class with the Kshatriyas, right? And their duty was to maintain wealth in their kingdoms so that their people are taken care of. So I'd even call it like then maintaining a healthy economy. Yes, right? so, so that's that a level. big, big right. important, which is why the, the Kautilya has an entire book or Charakya or Vishnu Gupta, an entire book called Arthashastra. Arthashastra. You know, the, 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 the science of wealth or yeah. and, and people translate it as science of polity or science of economics so which is political true. economics yeah or, you know. and, and for him and the same thing Bhishma says in the Shanti but of other places just like Kotilia says is the cornerstone of a king or a kingdom or a government is its wealth its treasury because it's through that treasury one it can protect its people to provide for the people and three take care of those who can't take care of themselves. So Artha, in the context of human endeavor, should not be foregone. In, in the sense is, if you want to live in this world of within society and engage with it and be a part of it, we should not be thinking as individuals that money doesn't matter at all. Money, wealth, security, stability, all have an importance in our lives. Now, what that importance is and how deep it goes and what we're allowed to do, that gets kind of curtailed by dharma, right? So what you do is you have your artha, you have your wealth, you use your wealth, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying. So the texts never say don't enjoy because one of the most human fundamental, I guess, drives is we want to be happy. We want to have some sort of I mean, not bliss. I mean, we do want bliss, but that's separate. But like, 
We want to be happy. We want to enjoy our lives. We don't always want to be working. We don't always want to be be um, feeling like, what are we doing this for? So you work to gain artha, then you use artha for some level of kama, which is make yourself happy. Whether that becomes a wife, or whether that is you know spending on material goods, or whether that's spending on like um, you know houses and property or whatever it is, travel, travel, or experiences. All, all those things are very important. It, it's important to be a holistic, full person. So this is why artha and kama are linked together intricately. And the deeper thing is these two by themselves, if they if they're let be, they run amok. Yes. You know, once you become overly zealous for money, uh, overly desirous for pleasures mm-hmm. or or just enjoyment, and this is where we cut to our world today in a part, right? Look at our social media culture. If you think about this deeply, what do they focus on? Money, fame. Really, that's what it comes down to. Money is your artha, fame is your pleasure, mm-hmm. right? Your, your fame in and of itself doesn't give you anything, but it makes you feel happy. It's recognition by recognition. the other or society at large, right. you know, because we, we don't look for fulfillment inside ourselves. Right. And so, you know, we need external you know, verification that, right. you know, we indeed are somebody. And, and, and that's the thing with our, our culture of celebrity, celebrity, like love or celebrity uh, fixation, worship, worship, and our over concern with money, 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 money. It's run rampant in a way that's very unhealthy for our society, which is one of the big things we're seeing, right? We're seeing a society that's breaking down based on what? Wealth inequality. Mm-hmm. Where I don't know if that wealth equality was necessarily that deeply driven in the, in, in the ancient Indic times. I don't know if it was. Well, the Greek and, again, East Asian, Central Asian travelers talk about there being uh, immense equality and people were provided for and there was all kinds of social welfare sort of systems in place. Sure. And, and, you know, they never came across, you know, any extreme levels of poverty. So. Right. So I actually think that's a good thing to talk about in another podcast about sure. the, the polity and nature of economics and, and uh, politics within the Indian system. But I think in this context, one of the important things is, is think. In the modern times, we are endlessly pursuing wealth and we're constantly wondering where that ethical line is. Mm-hmm. What is that line? What is, or fame, what is it okay to do? What is it not okay to do? And we're always pushing it and we, we cross it and we don't see it half the time. You know, we see it in big business practices where people might, you know, um, you know use bribes or do... Uh, you know, illegal activities constantly or not worry about who they trample on to get where they get to um, or a sense of no, um, what was the word be, like a connection to employer-employee yes. because the, the overriding drive for profit in a, in a corporation or a capitalist economy leads people to view people as resources Absolutely. as opposed to viewing them as like this uh, connection. So this is where dharma is very important and this is where dharma comes in. Is Dharma's important point is to say, so this is exactly why Dharma, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote from Mahabharata, and this is the, the definition of Dharma, Dharma Dharyati Praja, which is, it means Dharma is that which sustains the beings or people, right? That, it, this is a binding thing. It, it binds people together in a way that's supposed to sustain them in a circle. This is the important, the very important aspect of Dharma that 
I think partially is missing today in this our mentality as we as we engage with our our employees or engage with our family or engage with our friends is this nature of are we doing something to sustain each other mm-hmm. and this is the fundamental I think truth of Dharma and 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 I think that's something that we need to really think about so in that context let's spend some time like trying to talk talk about Dharma and kind of like uh, flesh it out a little bit um, right so there's I'm gonna I'm gonna rely heavily on the on the Mahabharata in this case because uh, I think it's very important in this entire conversation so there's two important uh, chapters in the Mahabharata or I mean a lot of them are important but two major important chapters that come after the Mahabharata war and um, this is the two important chapters are called Shanti Parva and Anushasan Parva um, so the first one Shanti Parva means the book of peace Anushasan Parva the book of teachings um, or, or yeah teachings so both of these Parvas or these these books are basically a dialogue for the most part. I mean, there's there's differences. Uh, I mean, there's uh, kind of digressions, but the most part's a dialogue between Yudhishthira, who is now the the basically the king of all the lands, and Bhishma, his grandfather, who was essentially almost killed in the war that they fought against, and now he's come to his grandfather Bhishma or great grandfather. Um, I mean, yeah, great grandfather to ask him about morality, rules, ethics, how to live, what's what's good, how to be a good king. Because one point over is that Bhishma, you know, was known to be this very righteous person, person right. who had taken this great vow and you know foregone a lot in his own life to sure. accommodate others, and and so he was respected as a as a master of uh, dharma, right. essentially. I mean, in the story, actually, what happens? Uh, I mean, this is a tiny tangent. I'll just take this. Is everyone asks? Um, Every, uh, people ask Krishna at this time, "Can you can?" Because Yudhishthira, after the war, is grieving. He he is he's in, immensely penitent for what he has done in this war and killed millions of people. That he he wants to give up the kingdom and go away because he thinks it's blood soaked and he's the cause of this cruelty and and hurt and pain and destruction. He just wrapped with guilt. Um, so what happens is they ask Krishna to relieve his guilt and there's a few dialogues here and there but Krishna finally says to him you know what don't talk to me about this go to Bhishma you go to Bhishma because before he became uh, before he came back to the kingdom when he was young he lived amongst the gods and learned from the gods and and has the deepest knowledge of these things and it's better for you to talk to him and so that's what Yudhishthira goes to Bhishma to learn from Bhishma about what was Kind of both the tradition, what the customs currently are, and also the, the ideal morality to, to follow. So Bhishma in the Shanti Parva basically says there's three sources of, of what's known as dharma. And he says first is the Vedas, second would be the Smriti, uh, Smriti texts like Itihasas, Puranas, Dharma Sastras. And then finally what he says, which is very interesting, is uh, Sadachara, which is the the actions of good people, right? Right. Of, of the people that engage in the world and who are actually living out ethical precepts. Right. Because that for him, it's more important than these lofty ideals is how it's applied in our world. Absolutely. And you want to 
also see like a lived example, right? Rather than a oh, yeah. uh, you know something written in a text, it's it's much more difficult for a lot of people to relate to, and so it's good it's good to have living examples and ideals to follow. So there's a they give out a list of what's known as principles of dharma, um, and they would be which first is going to be satya, which is telling the truth in action, deed, and thought. Uh, second would be uh, uh, dhanam, which is charity. Um, charity to all beings, right? So that includes giving to animals and giving to human beings. And plants and, and, and taking plants care of the environment around it, 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 it's It's a very fundamental uh, giving back to the world. Right. The third one would be tapas, which is uh, austerity. Um, they would, I mean, I think that's probably the most appropriate translation. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the fourth would be kshama, which is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And uh, forgiveness is considered one of the highest virtues because it is the one that leads to peace. Of, mm -hmm. I mean, and this is important because it actually leads to peace of mind. And, and, yes, and, and, and this is where a large, there's a large amount of conversations had about the importance of forgiveness in human experience and those that do not forgive will find themselves emburdened and embodied in pain, anger, doubt, and they'll never find happiness. Forgiveness, forgiveness is one of the most important uh, characteristics uh, in Dharma. The, the other one, uh, the, I guess fifth one would be Yajna, which is sacrifice um, to give constantly to not just the community around you, but the idea is to give to God, the gods, and you, the people that came before you, ancestors, ancestors and kind and of provide teachers, and, teachers and, and kind of give up and sacrifice. Um, the sixth is Dhamma, which is kind of forbearance. It's, um, it, it's patience, patience, forbearance. Dharya almost? Dharya, no, Dharya is, uh, it, this is Dhamma, is forbearance, is holding, right. holding yourself back, right? And then you have seventh is Swadhyaya, which is, it's, this is important, everyone must self-study, must try to learn, was constantly being engaged. When I say constantly, I don't mean like every minute, but like in a way that's going to make your life improving constantly, right? Because mm -hmm. knowledge leads to, if you do, if you read the good stuff, uh, good, good sources of knowledge, good information. You, you improve. You improve. You have more to share with the world around right. you too. Um, and then the eighth is aloha. So being not greedy. Yeah, not greedy. Uh, the non ninth, covetousness. Yeah, non covetousness, non greedy, non. I mean, jealousy. I guess also will be there. Um, the the ninth is ahimsa. Ahimsa, obviously, most people know it's uh, non violence. Non um, now the more, and then the eleventh will be a crowd. Uh, Tenth is akroda, which is non-anger, and the most important one that they considered in pretty much all the Mahabharata is the sense of anir shamsaya, yeah, which is the lack of cruelty or abstinence yeah. from cruelty. Yes, yeah, this, this is actually more than ahimsa. Anir shamsaya is the idea that you have to purge yourself of cruelty, both in action, thought, deed, and word. Right? It's the sense where you treat people as yourself this right. is so good and we could probably even have a uh, you know long discussion on ahimsa you know vis-a-vis under -vis, uh, shamsha because yeah. uh, you know uh, it, it really boils down to questions of practicality and and you know what's more achievable right. and whatnot but you know this is this is something we can definitely delve into right so i mean the, the thing about dharma and and these are these are the principles that guide dharma and um and that's during times where things are good. 
right? If you can, you should follow through on these kinds of behaviors, right? Because it's important when when you're involved in society and you're being productive that you embody these qualities. So when you get into periods of time where it's distress, those principles still guide you, but the focus becomes a little different. Right. Um, so there's in in I'll give you a little like reading from the Shanti Parva in the Mahabharata uh, where Arjuna tells um, Yudhishthira something uh, in this little line. Uh, he says, Arjuna says to Yudhishthira, there is no act that is wholly meritorious nor any that is wholly wicked. Right or wrong, in all acts something of both is seen. Subjecting animals to castration, their horns again are cut off. They are then made to bear weights or tether and chastise. In this world that is unsubstantial and rotten with abuses and rendered painful, do thou practice the ancient customs of men, following the rules and analogies cited above. Perform sacrifices, give alms, protect the subjects, and practice righteousness. Slay thy foes and protect thy friends. Let no be cheerless of your family or of yours. Um, and basically what he's saying is that nothing in this world is 100% good, 100% bad. Everything we do, whether it's right or wrong, is is mixed of mixed nature, right? Even when you, you are trying to protect your family and you slay your foes, the protection of your family is good, but it involves slaying of your foes, which is bad. And and this is the nature of dogma is it's so subtle and so difficult and this is why half the time in the in the in the Hindu scriptures, they don't tell you you should do you must do this, like the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. It's thou shall not, but But yeah, you know, there's there's nuances there's and nuances, it's, and that's right. up to you to make that decision as to what eventually is the right decision in a particular context. Right. So and and that's an important thing, right? We have to think that all these, so the, these dogmas I laid out are very particular for all beings, not just for any particular caste, I mean, Varna or, or Jati or anyone. Those are what's known as, you know, um, universal dharma. This is how everyone should behave, those, those uh, 12 qualities I laid out. Right. And, and, and then there's particular dharmas within ashramas. Right? Ashrama Dharma. There's Ashrama Dharma. So you have Dharma when you're a, Bra- a, Bra- a Brahmacharya who's studying. You have a Dharma as a Grihastha. You have a Dharma as a Varaprastha and Dharma as a, as a, a Sanyasa. Mm-hmm. So all of these areas have Dharmas and all Varnas have Dharmas too. Yeah. And then, you know, Desha and Kala too, right? Time right. and region is the way you are. Practices change and so you adapt accordingly. So that's that's right. I think um, I mean time, place, situation, all those things have a huge impact on dharma. It's I mean dharma is one of those topics that's almost endless because each notion or each life situation has some dharmic element involved in it. Whatever decisions we make every day, right? There's uh, it is a sense of ethical morality. Um, dharma in many ways is also situational morality. Situational ethics. Situational ethics. It's it, that's a big part of it. I mean, uh, there is virtual ethics, but the thing is, this is the sometimes difficulty in talking about um, in like Indian thoughts, especially because we don't term things like situational ethics. We don't term things as virtual ethics because we have them all. It's 
important to be virtuous. So we tell you, like the, the list of principles I've had, those are virtues to have, mm-hmm. right? But we also understand that all these virtues at the same point cannot, cannot lead you to necessarily always doing good things. They end up being good for you, mm-hmm. but they not might be good at the end, right? right? So there's a great story, actually. This is a really good story that I want to tell. So, so in the... Uh, Karna Parva, which is in the Mahabharata, it's one of the war books. Um, when Krishna, Karna becomes the general. Where Karna, so this is right before Karna becomes a general. So it's, uh, it, I guess it's the beginning of Karna Parva, right near the tail end of uh, Drona Parva. Mm-hmm. So what happens is Yudhishthira is told by Krishna to lie because Drona is unstoppable and he can't be killed and he's, uh, you know, he's one of the greatest warriors that ever lived. Yudhishthira is like, I'm not going to lie because I never lie. I always tell the truth. So Krishna tells us, and Arjuna, and even Arjuna is like, yes, he should not lie. He's our teacher. We can't lie to our teacher. And then Krishna gives this parable of sorts. So one day there was a sage meditating in the forest um, in, a, in a deep penance. And he had made a vow of always telling the truth, which is satya, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first principle I talked about when we talked about dharma. And this sage is practicing his penance, and then suddenly, through the thicket of the forest, runs out a family, and they're and they're panting, and they're freaked out, and they and they tell the sage, uh, you know, oh, oh great, oh seer, you know, oh rishi, um, we're being chased by bandits, you know, we're trying to escape. They've killed our village, they're destroyed our home, they're coming after us for the rest of the possessions we have in our lives, you know, please, please don't lead them to us. Uh, you know, send them away somewhere else. And then they run away, right? And then the, the bandits come within a few minutes' time. And then they turn to the sage and see them. They're like, did you see this family of XYZ people uh, uh, here? We're, we're chasing them um, or we're following them. You know, can you tell us where they are? And the sage said they went that way. He pointed the way they went. Mm-hmm. And what happened is the family gets killed. And then when the sage dies, he goes to help Narka. And then he questions Yama, why am I in Narka? Mm-hmm. And Yama, the, the god of the dead or and justice at the same time, says to him this, you acted for your own interest of maintaining your virtue right. at the expense of, and this is where we talked about Anir Shamshaya. Right. He did not behave in a way to protect or be non-cruel for the world around him. What was more important to him was I will always tell the truth. It's maintaining his own word and thinking that that's the higher dharma while the Mahabharata makes the point that Andeshamsaya is yeah. the paradharma. The, the most important thing is non-cruelty. And to prevent cruelty. Right? And to prevent cruelty. And, and, and that is the action. So if you need to do cruelty to prevent more non-cruelty, that's okay. So what, the whole point of this was sometimes your own virtues are to be shorn mm-hmm. for non-cruelty. Uh, and in this case, it's not like he was committing a cruel action. It was just breaking his vow of always telling the truth. Right. But, but the, the thing is, intentionally, he knew by telling the robber that where they're going. Right. I was talking in the concept of Yudhishthira. Oh, Yudhishthira. Yes. Yeah. Yudhishthira. So the, the, the story then, Yudhishthira tells a lie and he, his chariot touches the ground. Um, because he had never lied before. He's always told the truth. And and a beautiful thing about Mahabharata is even though he did the right thing and had, and li- I mean, the right thing, quote-unquote, and lied to his guru so that his army can win and the greater good, Dharma, can be prevail, he still 
at the end of the of the Mahabharata text in the Swargarohar Parva, Yudhishthira still has to go to hell, Narga, for the lie he told uh, to his teacher. So even though he did it for the greater good, he have he had to take on the penalty of lying. So one of the most important things that at least in which differentiates Hindu thought and uh, from pretty much every other thought is this idea that every action you do, there's always a consequence. No matter if you do it for the right reason or the wrong reason, there's less consequence for doing it for the right reason, but you still have to pay for that act. The act in and of itself has its own consequence. So just because you kill someone in self-defense doesn't absolve you of that moral action. You still have to pay for it. Just because you eat vegetarian food and and you think you haven't harmed animals there's still beings harmed all the time i mean there's actually even a a statement by arjuna in in the shanti parva again where he says basically he says not even uh, ascetics who live in the forest who breathe through the air or or only eat fruits fall on the ground do no harm by even the batting of our eyelids kills millions of unseen beasts actually we don't even even beasts that we can't see but must infer are so minute we're killing with every breath we take so every action in life leads to some consequence so the best thing with with Mahabharata is saying live your life by a principle of anir shamsaya right anir shamsaya which is non-cruelty yes sometimes cruelty is necessary to achieve that good but one must be willing to pay that due to do the greater good and and the bigger most important thing is take on that sin or papa or or negative karma right because one of the things that it's important for a king is that they actually take on the sin of their people mm-hmm. by doing by doing things like killing right but yeah, this is one of the most important things concepts in, in the indian uh idea of rajaniti or or uh, raja dharma mm-hmm. or the the dharma of kings is the king takes takes on the sin of their people because of protection. protection yep. Because protection requires injury. So he takes that on to protect his people. So the Mahabharata again says, there, every single king or ruler must see hell, if you're a good ruler. Mm-hmm. Because you have to do things and, and deal with the consequences. Right. And, and, and just on this point, and I'll, we want to close up because it's getting kind of long, right. but is... I think what we need to think about is, look, one of the big problems that we have today, and especially when we think about war, fighting, killing, is we want absolution. Mm -hmm. And what that means is immediate absolution. Just because the act was done for good reasons or good intent, no one should hold this to account, right? Like one of the things that, that struck me is, so after we had, when World War II we acted in a way we dropped two bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, killed hundreds of thousands of people, affected thousands more over generations. The, the rulers, or I mean, not the rulers, but the, the presidents, the congressmen, the, the people in our country as a whole, even the country as a whole, did not have that sense of... Um, Oh any, my God! What have we done? Any, or any penitence or penitence, repentance right? for their actions that you know, we wanted it had to be done. Had to be done. And it was a justifiable action. That's so they say, "Hey, we did it." But it's not justified, but uh, justified. But unfortunately, we had to commit right. And here's the difference in the Mahabharata: is Yudhishthira, this king who had just taken on kingship, 
after this war that killed 18 million people, according to the text, he was so resentful about what he'd done, so full of grief, so full of sorrow, so inconsolable about how much death and destruction he caused. He wanted to give up the kingdom, go to the forest, and retire, and kind of basically die of starvation. There was, I mean, when you read the text, you'll see how much he grieves about the lives he's taken. It was so visceral and so impactful for him that he did not want that kingship anymore. What I see today is, no, no, part of this is the exact opposite, is I'm justified for what I've done. I have no sense of repentance. And I have no, no, uh, like way to absolve it. And I think part of this is, and I could be taking a stretch here. I think part of this might be what PTSD could also be uh, because I think the ritual action of cleansing oneself. Right. And I think this is where ritual is very important is the ritual action of having a process in which one accepts what has done. One is also chastised by maybe people in mm-hmm. some sense, accepts that, that burden and then washes it away through some kind of ritual action, instead of just being given uh, something to do or something to, to, to go back into the world, the power of ritual is so important. And I think we have lost it again. And dharma also, by the way, means ritual. So right. the, the, having a ritual, a dharma, in which people find that way to absolve themselves, not through just a mental position, but like through a, a societal way to absolve oneself. Because this is actually what happens in Maharaj. I mean, Yudhishthira is told you should do a ritual to absolve yourself. Even though you have the mental thing, the act of the ritual itself, it makes you internalize it in a way that's saying, I take this pain on, I've done these actions, I I have these fears and these pains and these hurt. But this ritual cleansing is the community coming in and saying, you know what, we understand why you did this. Yes, you shouldn't have done it, but we together absolve you. And we as a country, and many countries this uh, matter, don't do that. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I wanted to bring just to kind of... I think it's very relevant to tie it into and, and I think we should day. apply that in our lives is, is maybe we make a ritual when we do something wrong. Instead of just saying sorry, we find a way to ritualize that wrong we've done to someone and free ourselves by involving the people that were hurt. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and that is important. Um, but yeah, so... I, we, we do want to spend some more time maybe going through dharma later. Um, and we will more of the that. nuances like Apad Dharma yes. and then also uh, under Shamsim uh, versus uh, Ahimsa. Yeah. I think that's a very good thing to talk about. But we also need to spend some time talking about Kama and, and moksha. moksha. And maybe we will do that in part two so we can do justice to it. Yeah, so um, thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, this will be part one of two. Um, the next episode will cover more of... Uh, Kama and Moksha, and then we'll we'll tie it all in together and connect it with the the ashrama system and how these all play together and the mix and match. And we'll also talk a little bit more about iconography right. of the deities in relation to these concepts. Absolutely, because part, one of the more important things is yes, we're called idolaters, but we're actually big icon iconographers exactly. in, in our tradition. Where uh, and, and and we'll deal with the idolatry issue some other point, but like the iconography of deities is so important in our tradition because it actually allows you to visualize and 
and, and, and see something that hits your mind in, right. in a, such a deep Absolutely. way. Absolutely, and it's all about encoding really deep ideas and multiple layers of ideas into a visual image right. that can then be looked at and those ideas can be decoded in a, in an instant, you know, in a non-verbal manner. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll spend some time uh, going through the iconography of, of the uh, Purusharthas and, um, and also the, the Varnashrama Dhamma, if there is, is any, with the, the deities, some of the deities, and we'll talk a lot more about ka, uh, Kama and Moksha. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, uh, thank you for joining Rachit and myself, and we'll look forward to connecting soon. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. Bye. Bye.